Our scripture lesson today is an ancient text from the songbook of the church, Psalm 139. Let's share in God's good word together. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, welcome to the new sermon series, Surviving the Pandemic, Ancient Practices for a New Normal. Is 2020 going exactly as you had planned? If so, raise your hand. I don't see any. Of course, we're online. But still, if we were in person, I bet I would not see a one. 2020 simply is not playing out the way we thought it might. And before we panic, before we find ourselves in despair, before we get depressed, before we become isolated alone, we remember that this is not new. And you say, well, hold on, Pastor Mark, of course this is new. This is brand new. None of us are more than 100 years old. None of us lived through the Spanish flu. Of course this is brand new. Nobody knows what to do. Friends, we are a part of a faith that is much older than one or two generations. It's much older than a century or two. It is millennia after millennia after millennia old. Our people have seen these things before. Our people have been through incredible hardship. So as a way of introduction, know this. Trouble is nothing new for people of faith. For you and me, we stand in a long tradition of people who have faced hardship and lived through it, have depended on God, had listened to God, who prayed through, who read the scriptures, who sang God's songs and said His words and served His people and did God's things and remains today. Year after year, month after month, week after week, day after day, sometimes second by second. But we stand today not in our own strength, but on the shoulders and faith and love and forgiveness and mercy and power of Almighty God. And all the folks that have shared that with us through the centuries and the millennia. So, let's get started. Let's remember who we are as we remember whose we are. The Bible starts with Genesis. We won't spend much time there. The second book is Exodus. And it is the Exodus event of God's people from Egypt because they became slaves. Some 1,300 years before Christ comes to earth, we have the Exodus event. And the Israelites became slaves. The Egyptians enslaved them and made them do forced labor. And human life was cheap. As the Hebrew people grew and grew and became more numerous, the Egyptians didn't mind killing them or working them to death. It's just the way it was. And God heard the cry of His people. He saw their hardship. He knew of their crying and their mourning and their weeping and their hardship. And so God got to work. 
He grew up Moses, snatched him from the water, raised him in the Pharaoh's home, taught him in the wilderness, showed himself to Moses. And he told him, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I will become who I will become. You can't put me in a box. You cannot contain me. I don't belong to a political party or a nation or a certain time. I am God of everything, of the sun, the moon, and the stars, the heavens, and the earth, and everything in between. That is the God that we serve across time. And that same God came to Moses and began to use him. And God sent plagues to change the Pharaoh's heart, but the Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And in that process, the people did not rejoice with Moses. They cursed Moses. Because the reality is when hardship comes, people rarely react with joy when they are being delivered from bondage. When you are doing the very things that you need to do for health, to lose weight, to eat right, to stay safe, to not participate in whatever pandemic, uh, pick one of the four or five that are going on right now, It's not pleasant, and people don't always respond in joy. Scripture says this. Then the Israelite supervisors came to Pharaoh and cried, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. Look how your servants are beaten. You are unjust to your own people. He said, You are lazy, lazy. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, for no straw shall be given you but you shall still deliver the same number of bricks. Now, this was tough because used to, the Egyptians gave them straw for bricks. And now that things were getting tough and there was a power struggle between the two groups, the Egyptians weren't giving them straw anymore. They were going to have to find that and do the work on top of it. And the Israelite supervisor saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you shall not lessen your daily number of bricks. And as they left Pharaoh, they came upon Moses, who they thought was going to be a hero, and Aaron, And they were waiting to meet them. And they said to them, The Lord look upon you and judge you. Look what you've done to us. Look what you're putting us through. They didn't take the long view about what God was doing or how God was working. They didn't stop and rejoice at what was coming about their Exodus event, about God saving them through the sea. They weren't there yet. They were just frustrated at where they were in the process. That's what the scripture says. By 722, and the great exodus event of the 1300s, and God's salvation of of the Israelite people over and against the Egyptian people, they'd gone into the promised land, but they had already lost their way again. By 722, the prophet Amos, the prophet Hosea, the prophet Micah, and the prophet Isaiah, they all warned Israel of what was to come. That if they did not turn their hearts from their wicked ways, if they did not stop being unjust to people that were outside, the orphan, the widow, the migrant, that there would be a reckoning. People didn't want to listen. They said, you have no other gods before me. You can't serve yourself. You can't serve a golden calf. You can't serve greed. You can't serve politics. You can't serve anything other than God first. And they did not pay attention. And the scripture says that Assyria came marching down upon them, marched down the coastline, and they captured the leading citizens and skilled workers of the time, and they took them to various regions of the Assyrian Empire. And this is how it works, friends, that they didn't enslave everybody. They just took the ones they wanted, the leaders, the businessmen and women, the people they could use, and they took them, they captured them, and they pulled them 
into the Assyrian Empire across a large, vast area. If you look at the map, you'll see that Nineveh is right here. And they're going to go more than 500 miles all the way down to Jerusalem. And they're going to capture the leaders of the Israelite people. Now, they're going to leave the sick. They're going to leave the indigent. They're going to leave the poor. They're going to just leave them to die. But they're going to take the people they thought of as value and move them, maybe down here at this part around Egypt and that part of the empire, or up here by Cappadocia, or anywhere over here for hundreds and hundreds of miles. And the scripture says this about this. Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger. Now see, here's, here's the thing about nationalism. It doesn't work. Because God is not the God of any one nation or country or group. God is the God of the world, of the cosmos, of the universe, of the sun, the moon, the stars, and everyone in it for all time and all places. And either we can be on page with what God is doing, or God will work with someone else. And the way the people understood this was that God was using Assyria to make the change that God wanted to make. The club in their hands is my fury, Isaiah the prophet said. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. So says the prophet. And then, not long after, by 586, the Babylonian Empire will come. It will no longer be the Assyrians. Now it's going to be Babylon. And they're going to come over to Jerusalem And they're going to take their artisans, their business people, their political and religious leaders, the people with any sort of power. And again, they're going to leave anyone who was struggling to simply be there and die. And Babylon is also going to come over and they're going to destroy the temple. They are going to level it to the ground. They are going to burn it to the ground. And the people have no place to worship. They'll have no capital city. And all of their leaders will be gone scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire. We're here at Megiddo, which fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC, which means all the rocks, all the things that you see here um, that are not living, of course, are at least 2,739 years old. That's old. Uh, Some 722 years before Jesus was born. Uh, At Christmas time, we sing, Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, and Um, In Hebrew, the word for carpenter and stonemason are the same. And so uh, if you want to see what Jesus was probably laid in, um, this is an actual original, not a replica, uh, trough from the year 722 B.C. or earlier, uh, some 2,739 years old. And you can see that this would be a great place to lay a baby. Um, It's good and sturdy. It's not going to fall over. You might put some pads or a little pillow in there. And Jesus could have had a good night's sleep uh, in a horse trough. Now you can see how it would happen. So even in the darkest times, even where the people had no hope, they had no leaders, they had no businesses, they had no government, they had no place to lay their head, there was still the hope of the Messiah, the chosen one of God, God himself to come to earth to make things right for all people, for all time and all places. That he was coming in the person of Jesus. And you have these little glimmers of hope, these little pockets of light and of hope and of love 
that God would come and rescue his people. But friends, they were still hundreds and hundreds of years away from that moment. But the crush was already carved. It was waiting for that moment as the people of God and the earth itself groaned to be made right, to be redeemed, to be restored, to be made whole. So in 586, the Babylonians ravaged Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple and they led the king and thousands more to captivity. It happened from Assyria from the north and then it happened again from Babylon in 722 and 586. These are the major markers of the Old Testament. 1300 with the Exodus event, 722 with the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel, and 586 with the fall of the southern kingdom of Judah. And the scripture says it was a terrible and harsh time. It says this, then they captured, this is speaking around 586, they captured the king Zedekiah and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah who passed sentence on him. And they slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah the king before his very eyes so that it would be the last thing that he saw was the death of his children. And they put out the eyes of Zedekiah and they bound him in fetters and they took him off to Babylon and thousands of his people with them. And it was a dark time and a hard time until the time of Jesus. By then the Roman Empire had come in and taken over And it was no fun then either. Uh, God's people were again subjected. Now, not to Babylon, not to Assyria, not to Egypt, but this time to Rome, the largest and strongest empire the world had ever seen. And there was great persecution. And it was a crime to follow Jesus. It was something that would cost you your life. If you were going to give your life to Jesus, it was something that you had to consider very, very carefully. Because it would more than likely cost you your life. We remember together that all of the disciples except John were martyred for following Jesus. And John, of course, imprisoned on the island of Patmos, where we get the book of Revelation. So the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Apostle, remind us that Saul, also known as Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, that's what the followers of Jesus were known as first, people of the way, men or women, he didn't care, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem so that they would be imprisoned and potentially killed as he killed Stephen. And he made that order for the stoning of Stephen. So, how do God's people respond in times of pandemic, in times of hardship? in times of persecution, in times of famine, in times of sword. What do we do? This is not new, friends, for us as people of faith. Well, you'll see that it's not uniform. There's all sorts of things that people do. And if we're going to be really honest, the Bible does a great job of that, then we have to own that, first of all, many of us complain. We don't roll up our sleeves and get after it. We just get on Facebook and whine. Or whatever your social media platform is. Twitter, Or who knows what. Or maybe it's just around the water cooler. But our first temptation is not to do the things that God calls us to do or that the prophets call us to do. It's not to rend our hearts and to turn and to fast and to pray and to read scriptures and to do the things that we know to do. It is simply to complain. And so Moses, fear of the unknown and anxiety about their future caused the Israelites to complain again and again against God and against Moses and against Aaron. So they say to Moses, the scripture tells us, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? 
Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. Well, actually, no. That's what my mom would call a bold-faced lie. They never said that to Moses. Not at all. But isn't it interesting the way we remember the past when it's not going our way? That's just human nature. There's a temptation to rewrite history. There's a temptation to make it go the way we want it to go. And we will even say bold-faced lies when it's not going our way. They say, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Well, friends, you and I know, because we've read the story, that God provided quail and manna and water in the wilderness. They were going to be fine. But they were afraid And it's always hard to move forward, even when we're being beaten in our home in Egypt, even when we're being whipped and abused and have hardship because it's come to be normal to us. It's become familiar to us. And in some weird, sick way, it might even become comfortable for us than going into the preferred future that God has for us. So we complain. That's one of the things God's people have done in the past. I'm not thrilled about it, but it is the truth. However, you'll see sort of a progression in the people of God from time to time. We want to celebrate that. By 722 in the Assyrian exile, they don't have a temple, they don't have any clergy, but they would gather and they would sing. And what would they sing? Well, they would sing from their songbook, from the Psalms. That was their songbook. And so in Psalm 62, it says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O God, rest my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. They would sing. They would sing it till they believed it. They would sing it again. They would sing it to each other. And then they would sing it some more. Trust in God at all times. O people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. God is a refuge for us. God is a refuge for us. And what an important message for the people of exile all the way to Assyria. What an important message for the people headed to Babylon. What an important message for the people trying to stay alive under the Roman Empire. And what an important message for us today. And for our brothers and sisters in China and in Iraq and in Iran and in Egypt and in Yemen and the continent of Africa, continent of South America. God is our refuge in all times and all places. So in the Babylonian exile, not only would they sing the scriptures, but they would read them together and they would remember God's blessings. The children of Israel would remember the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in Numbers we find the first priestly blessing. And it's a wonderful song uh, that we've begun to sing here in our church. And the scripture in number six says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. I want you to read this with me. Say it with me. I want you to say this over yourself, over your children, over your family. Say it right here with me right now at this time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. So we receive this scripture. When we say amen, it means we agree. The Lord bless you. 
and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance, which means to turn his face toward you and give you peace. When Chantel and I go to visit babies born uh, to our faith family community, I come and the first thing I say to the child when I meet them on their first day of life or the first time that I get to meet them is this priestly blessing. And what is behind these words is a part of the song. That God's favor be upon you for a thousand generations. For your family and your children and their children and their children. And some from the prayer of St. Patrick. May his presence go before you and behind you beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. God is with you. In the morning, in the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. Friends, never forget in Assyria, in Babylon, in Egypt, in Edmond, Oklahoma, He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. At your job, He is with you. At your school, He is with you. In your home, He is with you. Online, He is with you. In the morning, in the evening, in your weeping, in your rejoicing, He is with you. And God is with you no matter your geography, no matter your spirituality. That is the gift of God, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, with us. God is with us no matter how far we travel. Geographically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, there is no place you can go that God will not meet you there. That God has not already been, that God is not waiting with open arms for you. He is with you. So we come to the people known as Acts 2, found in that book of the Bible, chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to scripture and to prayer. I hope you know this one. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to really taking care of one another, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We are people of prayer, friends. And before we get some uh, sort of lackadaisical notion of what prayer might be, prayer is practicing heaven right now, right here, saying with Jesus, Lord, thy kingdom come. God, your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven because heaven is that place where what God wants done is done. I love the way Father Richard War says it. He says, prayer has often been trivialized by making it into a way of getting what we want. It is not a technique for getting things, a pious exercise that somehow makes God happy or a requirement for entry into heaven. It is much more like practicing heaven now. Prayer is practicing heaven now. It is saying, okay, God, what do you want? Let's go do it. Okay, God, I'm yours. Good morning, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do today? Let's get after it. That's prayer. My friend needs help. My family needs help. Thank you for this. Bless you for that. I see how you're working. Help me meet you there. I want to be a part of what you're doing, Lord Jesus, for the very transformation of the world. Wherever you are, Lord, I want to be where you are. Help me get there. And you can do that right now, right here, today. So what does that kind of prayer look like? I love my friend Craig Finistead at Water's Edge up in Omaha, Nebraska. 
he wrote a prayer book, and he wrote this prayer on healing. And I hope that you'll read it with me, that you'll actually pray it with me this morning, because that's the great thing about prayer. You can pray anywhere, anytime, standing up, sitting down, kneeling down, hands up, hands folded, doesn't matter. What matters is your heart. So you pray this prayer of healing over yourself, over your family, over all those that you love. Pray with me. Dear God, you hear the cries of my heart. You feel the pain from my past and my present. You see my wounds, worries, and weaknesses. Forgive my sins. Give me strength. Bring me hope. Bless me with your presence. Provide wellness in my body, peace in my mind, repair in my relationships, and rest for my soul. I want more of the life you give. Help me to trust in you more and more. May I receive your healing, wholeness, and balance. Let my pain be a blessing. May my heartbreak be a breakthrough. May my wounds transform into wisdom. May my past give me and others a future. And God, make your love, your strength, and your grace be evident and abundant to me in days of celebration and blessing, in days of trials and hardship, and in ordinary days and average days. Amen. You see, Jesus' followers choose to pray and to sing and to read Scripture and to serve rather than to spare because that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus did when He walked the earth. That early church in Acts 2, it says this, All who believed were together had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their foods. How? Say it with me, with glad and generous hearts. Is that how your friends would describe you? People who have glad and generous hearts? That's how we are to be. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. You'll notice it doesn't say religious people. It doesn't say church people. It doesn't say people in my neighborhood. It says all the people. So if we're going to actually have goodwill with all the people, we might want to bless them and serve them and care for them. And you know what happens when that happens? Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That's what God does. As we're faithful, God is faithful. We take a step, God takes two, three, four, a thousand. We take another step, God takes another three, four, five thousand. And we love and we serve, not out of duty, but out of a grateful heart because God first loved and served us. On the very last night of his life, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God. He got up from the table at that last supper and He took off His outer robe and tied a towel around Himself. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around Him. God Himself having left the very throne of heaven washing feet. We love. And we only have the ability to love because Christ first loved us and we know of His love because of His service and His sacrifice. And if the world's going to know that love again, they will need to know it again through us, through our love, our service, and our sacrifice and how we love one another. Because that's the other thing about the early church. They took care of one another. They took deep, loving care of one another. So the scripture says this, let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all and especially for those of the family of faith. And so, friends, I know that this time 
of us being suspended for in-person worship is difficult, particularly on those who don't have a family at home. For those living at home alone, I hope that those of us of the faith family will invite you into our homes, that you will invite someone else in ways that are safe and meaningful and helpful to you, that we should not be alone in this time. We need to be able to gather in small groups that are safe and easily to track around COVID and to do the things we need to do. And so Chantel and I are doing that. We're inviting people into our home and we're going to other places on Sunday mornings so that we can connect with a few people at a time. And we want to invite you to do the same thing. Reach out, particularly if there's somebody that you know in our church family or a neighbor down the street. If they don't have, if they're living alone, please reach out to them and bless them this week. So how are we going to live this out, friends? Here are action steps for this week. Number one. Come to church outside, 6 p.m. Saturday, September 26th, with fireworks. It's going to be awesome. 6 o'clock, the band's going to be ready to play. We're going to have an extended worship set, and we're going to have worship. It's going to be awesome. The sun's going to set right down to your left over the field. It's going to be beautiful and wonderful. It's going to be a perfect night. I'm praying so. I hope you'll be praying with me, and I hope to see you then. If you feel safe and you can come and social distance, it's going to be wonderful. And we will have childcare actually as well for those zero to three. And so I wanted to let you know about that. Hope to see you then. Secondly, as I mentioned just a moment ago, get connected with a few other Jesus followers and a few not yet Christians. This is a great time for the church to be the church, not just gathered, but scattered like the early church willing to worship in the catacombs if necessary, in the funeral home or in our homes with glad and generous hearts. That's who we are to be. It doesn't have to be fancy, friends. Just, just get a few people together, people of faith that you love and admire and maybe some people that really need the Lord. And you can simply ask three questions, four if you're super brave. The first question is this, what can we celebrate? As you gather with just a few friends, say, what can we celebrate? Because that's our first prayer of Thanksgiving. The second question is, well, where are you feeling stuck these days? Where are you stuck? And that's a prayer of a real need of the people that we love and are caring about. Thirdly, then, what needs to change? That's the prayer of action. Asking God to show and help and guide people where they feel stuck and what needs to change. And finally, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while uh, and you're willing to help other people know how to do this, just like the psalm says, How did you experience God this week? Where did you see him? Where is he? Because I want to invite you to celebrate God's presence everywhere you are. Because the psalm says again in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And you and I know the answer is nowhere. God is with us. 1300 BC, 722 BC, 586 BC, at the time of Jesus, at the time of the early church, 
at the time of the Great Schism in 1054, at the time of the Reformation in 1517, at the time of John Wesley in the 1700s, in the time of the revivals in the 1800s, in the time of the joining of the United Methodist Church in Dallas in 1968, and in Edmond, Oklahoma today in 2020, God is with us. Thanks be to God. Celebrate it and share it with the family of faith and the people that do not yet know our loving Savior. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.